Well, good morning. It's good to have each one of you here this morning. You know, back at the start of the 20th century, there for about a four-year period of time, uh, Spanish painter Pablo Picasso went through what was later dubbed to be his blue period. And what happened was Picasso, who, well, let's be honest, he painted strange pictures anyway. But during that four-year period, he decided he was only going to paint in shades of blue. So every picture was nothing but shades of blue. And he gave his paintings kind of a sober, almost gloomy look to them. He had a hard time selling them back then. They're very popular now, very famous. But back then he couldn't even sell them because of that, that atmosphere that it gave. Well, this week when I was continuing to study for my sermon this week, I, I suddenly realized that the two weeks that I had to preach and the two psalms that I picked were both lament psalms. And as I said, exactly what it sounds. They're psalms of sorrow, psalms of grief, psalms of mourning. And I got to think about it. I, said, I must be, without realizing it, kind of in my own little blue period here. But nevertheless, this morning I want you to turn to Psalm 55. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. How many of you in here ever thought about running away when you were a child? Let me see your, your hands. Yeah, the vast majority of us. Now, let me ask you a second question. How many of you ever actually ran away? Let me see that. Okay, we still got a few. Not nearly as many, but a few. You know, when I was a kid, I thought about running away bunches and bunches of times. And so I would get ready, and I would pack everything up. Now, back then, I didn't pack it in a, in a book bag, a knapsack, or anything like that. Back then, I used the symbol of running away that was part of my generation. It was that stick with the satchel tied on the end of it. I mean, that's what you saw in all the TV shows, all the movies, whenever anybody was running away. So many times through my childhood, I would pack up my bag. Now, I never got any further than the end of the farm road on which we live, but, but I planned it a lot of times, and I packed a lot of times. And, you know, this week as I was thinking about it, it dawned on me. My mama helped me pack just about every time that I got ready to go. <laughs> Not sure what that says. But I read something the other day in which somebody said, and Kathy just made mention of this, said, I've thought about running away a whole lot more as an adult than I ever did as a child. How many can identify with that? And that's kind of the way things work, isn't it? And that's where we find David today in, in Psalm 55. So let's pick it up in verse 1 and, and realize that David is talking about struggles and situations that have come in his life that have led him to the point of wanting to run away. Verse 1, he says, God, listen to my prayer and do not ignore my plea for help. Pay attention to me and answer me. I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint because of the enemy's voice because of the pressure of the wicked for they bring down disaster on me and harass me in anger so david is now expressing to us the situation the feelings the emotions that are he's involved in that he's caught up in and all of this and he's talking about the struggles that are are now happening in his life and he really sums it up there in that third verse the last part of it where he says for they bring down disaster on me in the english standard version it translates it this way it says they drop trouble on me 
And what he's doing with this is he's painting a word picture of something that was very prevalent during his day, a tactic that was used by lots of folks. It was used by the military. It was used by thieves and robbers. And what they would do is they would go to where there was a valley pass and they would get up on the mountainside. And then when those that were their enemy or those that they wanted to steal from, those that they wanted to overcome, when they would pass through the valley, they would push big stones and huge rocks down on top of them and crush them, killing them or at least incapacitating them so that they could win victory or so that they could steal what the person had. And David is saying, that's what my life feels like at this point. I mean, nobody's literally hurling stones down on me. But figuratively, he says, that's what I'm going through. The pressures, the struggles, the trials of this situation feel just like rocks coming down on top of me. And I feel crushed by the whole thing. Guys, how about it? You ever been there? Ever felt that way? Yeah. In fact, there's some of you that are sitting here this morning that says, that's me right now. That's exactly what I'm going through in my life. And then there's a lot of others of us who say, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And I hate to tell you this, there's some of you that are going to experience it. You're going to have it happen. Look down into verse 4 as David continues to pour out his heart here. He says, my heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I mean, look at those words in there. Shuddering, terror, fear, trembling, horror. And as you read those words and hear those words, I want you to think about something. The man writing these words is King David. The man writing these words is the man who faced wild animals as he tended the sheep in their fields. The man writing these words is the man who stood up when everybody else was afraid. He stood up and fought Goliath the giant. The man writing these words is the same man about whom the people sang, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. This is King David, the warrior king. What is it in his life that has taken him to this point that he writes about his fear and his terror and his trembling? Well, to put it into context, turn to verse 12. He says, Now it's not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I could bear it. It's not a foe who rises up against me, otherwise I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, and good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We walked with the crowd in the house of God. So David says to us, he says, what's brought me to this point is the betrayal of a close friend. In fact, if you look down in verse 20, he describes how this friend has acted. He says, he acts violently against those at peace with him. He violates his commandment. His buttery words are smooth, but war is in his heart. His words are softer than oil, but they are, they are drawn swords. 
David said, it's not enough for an enemy to attack me. I could have handled that. I expected that. And you do. You expect your enemy to go ahead and attack you. That's not a surprise. He says, but what happened here is it was a close friend. It was a companion. It was the one with whom I had fellowship in the house of the Lord. He says, it came out of nowhere. And folks, that's really when it feels like those things come crashing down on us, isn't it? When it's out of nowhere. Where it's totally unexpected. I mean, let's be honest. There are things in our lives that we know are going to cause us struggles. There are things in our lives that we know are going to cause us problems. But it's when those unexpected things come that we feel crushed. It's when those unexpected things come that we feel the trembling, that our heart, like David, shudders. And it drives us to the very thing that David experienced. Look back now to verse 6. And we pick it up now with the context, understanding what's going on in his heart. And he said, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest. How far away would I flee? I would stay in the wilderness. And now we see that little word selah again. Remember we said last week that means stop, take a moment, hang out here, think about what he's saying. And as we do that this morning, we identify with it. We understand it. He says in verse 8, I would hurry to my shelter from the raging wind and the storm. So David addresses the desire of his heart. He says, I want to run away. In fact, more than that, he says, I want to fly away. I want to get out of here fast, and I want to get out of here far. He gives us the imagery, the picture of a startled bird who takes off in flight to get away from the danger that is there. There for a moment, and then quickly gone. He says, that's how quickly I want to leave this situation. And he said, where do I want to go? He said, I'd even be willing to go out into the desert and the wilderness where there is nothing. Everything is barren. You have to struggle and all out there. He said, but that would be better than this situation that I'm in now. In other words, basically what he says is anything would be better than this. Again, have you been there? Experienced that? You know exactly what David is talking about. We've all had that situation where we felt like the best option, the only option, is if I could just get away. If you look there again in verse 8, he said, I would hurry to my shelter. And that's an interesting little word because this is the only place in the Old Testament that we find it. And it's a word that means my place of escape. He said, I want to get away to a place of escape to a place where I feel safe rather than crushed. We used to have a dog named Tipper. Tipper had her place of escape. It was her little kennel cage. Well, not little because Tipper was huge. Huge kennel cage. And, of course, when she was a puppy, we had her in there. We put her in there at night to make sure she didn't mess up the house. We put her in there when we left to make sure she didn't mess up the house. But after she got to be a grown dog, we really didn't need to put her in there, but we couldn't take the kennel cage away from her because it would be too traumatic for her because that was her place of escape. 
If anything went wrong, that's where she went. One night we were sitting there in the house, and she and the other dog we had, a boxer, so two big dogs in the living room playing and doing their thing while we're sitting in the den, which is where the cage was, and all of a sudden we hear this horrendous crash in the living room. And before we can move, Tipper comes racing into the den, into her cage, turns around and pulls the door shut. her place of escape. David longed to be there. And you and I have longed to be there as well. So David is expressing his desire, the anguish that is in his heart. But then in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the desire to escape, comes out that other emotion that's very real to us, and that's the emotion of anger. If you look over at verse 15, you, you see a glimpse of this. As he's talking about his enemy, as he's talking about this friend who has betrayed him, he says, let death take them by surprise. Let them go down to shield alive because evil is in their homes and within them. So here David is expressing a very real emotion. He's expressing something that is in his heart and is in our hearts when we face situations like this. There's some commentators, if you study this passage, they'll say, well, David's was a righteous anger. And then you got other commentators who say, no, I don't think so. In fact, to me, as I read this, they say, it sounds like emotions and thoughts that aren't worthy of somebody that's serving a loving God. Well, yeah, what I'd say to you is, whichever one is true, the one thing we know about this is it's real, isn't it? I mean, this is honest emotion here. And we all understand that because we have been there. Even when our hearts are breaking, even when we have that desire to escape, there's a part of us that still feels that anger. In other words, we have that desire that says, God, get me out of here. God, take me away from here. But there's also that part of us that says, God, play whack-a-mole with them. I mean, just really come down on them, take care of them, wipe them out. So we understand where David is. We understand what he's experiencing in all of this. We've been there, or we are there, or again, sadly, we will be there at some time. And so we've experienced these same emotions these same thoughts. And as I said, some of you are dealing with them right now. But when we really stop and are honest with ourselves and honest with God, we have to acknowledge this. <laughs> Neither one of them work. God's not going to come and wipe out all of my enemies, all of my problems. He's not going to wipe the whole slate clean. He's not going to open up the earth and swallow them alive like David prayed here. And running away doesn't help because my burdens are kind of like the knapsack. When I run away, they're still there with me. So neither one of those works, so there's got to be another alternative. There's got to be a better plan, and David shares it beginning there in verse 16. He says, but I called to God, and the Lord will save me. I complain and groan morning, noon, and night, 
and he hears my voice. Though many are against me, he will redeem me from my battle unharmed. David says there's an alternative. Rather than flight, rather than fight, he says, I take it to God. I take it to the Lord. It's interesting there, he says, I complain and groan. The King James, it says, I pray and cry out. What it's a picture of is not so much complaining like we think of it. But it's a picture of somebody who constantly and repetitively takes it to God. In fact, he says, I do it morning, noon, and night. He says, all the time, I carry my cares and my needs to God. And then drop down to verse 22. And he continues the thought when he says this. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will support you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Okay, I want you to listen to me carefully right here at this point. Because I think this is our point of fail so often as Christians. We may pray, we may cry out to God, we may be even able to classify what we're doing as wailing and mourning, but we never really surrender it over to God. When I was much, much younger, I did a lot of weightlifting. In fact, I, I did a lot of powerlifting. I know some of you are thinking, I think you're still lifting a lot of weight. But, <laughs> but that, that, that's a whole different kind, a whole different story. We won't go there. CrossFit. Um, we decided some of us are fit, some of us are cross. You know. <laughs> uh, but I used to do a lot of weightlifting. And my favorite person in the gym, whenever I went to the gym to work out, was whoever was going to be my spotter for the day. Because we were dealing with weights, heavy weights. And that spotter, his job was to stand near you when you were doing things like a bench press or a squat. And he was there to help you. In other words, when you got to the last repetitions of trying to lift that weight, and when you got to that point of exhaustion and you couldn't lift that weight anymore, his job was to stand there and take a little bit of the burden off of you. A little bit of the weight off of it. Just, you know, stick in. Sometimes he put one finger there, you know, that emotional thing, that idea of all I need is one finger from you and I can do it. But that was his job, just to take a part of the weight so that I could finish what I was doing. That's the way some of us try to take our burdens to God. We go to him and we say, God, if you could just take a little bit of this off of me, then I can handle it, God. I can make it. God, if you just lift up this little corner right here, I can make it. Folks, I want you to understand something. That is the way we are to help and respond to each other. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says that we are to bear or to share one another's burdens. So when you have a burden as your brother in Christ, I'm there to try to help you when I can and carry a part of that load for you. And you're there to do it for me. That's what he calls us to do. But it's never what the Bible says we're to do with God. 
Never are we to ask him to take a part of it. The, the phrase right here in verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. The word cast means to throw down. In other words, take your burden and admit, God, I can't do it myself. I can't handle it. I can't fix it. I don't need you to take a part of it. God, I need you to take all of it. Here it is, God, it's yours. See, that's where we fail. We are called upon by God to cast our burden, throw it down, and give it to him. Now, as you study this verse 22, an interesting note comes up with this next word there, burden. Because the word translated burden right there is the same word that you can translate gift. And you'll say, okay, my burden's not a gift of any kind. In a sense, it is. It is that thing that has been given to you in your life. God in his wisdom has allowed that to happen. Has allowed that to be given to you. You say, well, why would God do that? Answer, I don't really know. But I know it is for our good and for his glory. I don't know the specifics of why that's happening to you. And nobody else does. But that which God in his wisdom has given to us, he then calls for us in trust and wisdom in him to give it back to him and let him take care of it. And then he says, he will support you. And that word has all kinds of meanings, and I think every one of them applies here. It is to be in his presence. It is for him to abide in us. It is for him to guide us, to feed us, to lead us, to sustain us. I think all of those words apply here. He says, give it over to God, and God will support you. And then he says, and he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And some of you are sitting there thinking, whoa, stop right there. I feel shaken. I feel all shook up. But David's painting a word picture here for us. And I want you to stop for a moment and see that imagery that he's giving to us. I want you to imagine for just a moment the biggest, mightiest oak tree you can wrap your imagination around. And I want you to picture those huge limbs and branches and all that are coming off of it. And now I wanted you to picture yourself almost like a tiny bird nestled in a nest in the fork of the biggest, most secure of the branches. And the storms come and the winds rage and the rains fall. And in the midst of all of that, what happens in the tree? The branches sway. And that's where you are today. You're not shaken. You may be swaying. But you're not shaken. You see, you're still nestled in the hand of God. And he allows us to sway some. For, again, our good and his glory. But the tree's still standing firm. It's not uprooted. It's not blown over. It's not torn down. It is not shaken. And that's the image David gives to us. When we give it to God, it is secure. 
And then he finishes up with verse 23. He says, You, God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and treachery will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So what David ends up with this is, it ends up in this psalm with is basically this. God, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of things. I'm just going to trust you. And know that you are powerful enough, you are loving enough, and you are caring enough to do what is best for me. As we think about life, as we think about the situations in which we find ourselves, we understand this idea of flight, run from it, fight, bow up our back, try to handle it ourselves. But David says there's a better way. It's faith. You can trust in God. See, every one of us has our burdens, has our trials, our struggles, our problems. But God's word says, cast it on the Lord. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to operate not in flight, not in fight, but in faith that God loves you? Peter wrote in one of his epistles, cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. See, I've got a God who loves me. And a God who is powerful enough to part seas and stop storms and forgive sins. And he's just waiting for us to throw it down and give it to him. And as we sit here this morning, there's some of you that need to hear this. And you need to hear it loud and clear. Because you're still struggling and burdened down by the biggest burden of all, which is your sin. Your sin that has separated you from the God who loves you and created you. You've never accepted the gift that he has for you. See, you're caught up in the worst paycheck in history. The wages of sin is death. And you've been trying to save yourself and you've been trying to make things right and you've been trying to live better and you're doing all of these things but nothing works. Because only God can fix it. And he did when he sent his son Jesus down to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and to pay the price for the burden of your sin. Tonight, he, today, he offers you the opportunity to throw it down, 
to take the gift of everlasting life. How about it? Will you give it to him? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We admit there are a whole lot of times, Lord, we'd like to run away. Run away from our problems, run away from our situations, run away from our circumstances. But Father, we come before you today and we acknowledge that's not the answer. It's not the solution. Being anxious, being angry, they really don't accomplish anything either, God. Father, we know that today your word has shown us that we need to just simply give it over to you totally, completely. So, Father, we come before you to do that today. Whatever our situation, maybe we're a Christian, Lord, but we've let the burdens of life, the burdens of our situation, Lord, basically paralyze us in what we're doing. Or, Father, maybe we're here today and we've never, Lord, accepted your gift, never developed a relationship with you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross. Today we realize, Lord, we can't save ourselves. We can't get to heaven, Lord, on our good works or our good looks. Father, it's only through what you did. It's only through the cross. Father, whatever our need today, might we respond to your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.